With the first pick in the 2012 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Andrew Luck, quarterback, Stanford. There we go. He's got to hang up with his boss and hug his mom. What is up, Football Nation? It is May 5th, 2012. Actually, it's not quite May 5th yet, is it? It's May 1st, 2012. It is the Sportscasters Football Nation podcast, episode number five. And uh, we're just a couple days here after the draft. And uh, you hear the commissioner there announce the Andrew Luck pick. Um, And we had a great show for you today. We're going to do three things like we always do here in a second. And our guest today is the main blogger at Yahoo Sports. It's the Shutdown, Shutdown Corner blog, and um, we got the, the main writer there, uh, Doug, and he's going to join us on the show in a second. Uh, last week, we had episode four, Stuart Mandel from Sports Illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Uh, he joined us to talk about the draft. You can find that podcast at footballnation.com. Also, this week, we have episode 17 of the Sportscaster podcast. It's pretty cool. We have Richard Deitch, who we're going to talk a little bit about the, the coverage of the draft, if you're interested in kind of the media side of things. Also, they handed out the sports Emmys last night. We'll talk to him about that. We also have Dave Meltzer, who's kind of the number one guy for UFC and professional wrestling. We kind of do a combination of both of those things, interview with him. We also have Matt Crossman who had a really interesting story about the Tennessee Titans, who their fourth-round pick was a kid named Cody Sensenbaugh, and he's got a great story. I encourage you to check that out. That's episode 17 of the Sportscasters. You can find that on our website, www.sports-casters.com. But again, this is episode number five of the Sportscasters and Football Nation. Doug Farrar is our guest from the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo Sports. But we're going to start everything off right now. The three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. I'm going to start us off today. And I'm just going to get us going with a little bit of a general draft discussion here. You know, a couple of my observations about the draft. One, it was really fast. Yeah. Felt like the pace to it was really good. Too fast for the uh, the commissioner and the announcers to keep yeah, up. Yeah, the picks were coming in quicker than the picks were being announced. Because they had to iron the names on the back this year. That was a new thing. Right. That was And that was a great touch, I thought. Yeah, that, that was, was really cool. cool. Uh, there was a lot of trades, 27 trades in the draft this year, which is above normal. And also, I thought that besides the commissioner and, and announcing the picks was behind, it seemed like television was behind Twitter. You know, television agreed to not oh, read yeah, out yeah. the picks by showing the guys on the phone, but they didn't hold back their reporters from gathering information and reporting the picks. Yeah, I stayed off Twitter and that was because a, of that. That yeah. was a wise move if you wanted to avoid that because it seemed like, you, you know... The TV wasn't tipping it off, but guys like Schefter 
and Lacknafor. Those guys are so good at what they do, and Mortensen, that they yeah. would get the information and they would tweet it out. And I thought in Richard Deitch's column about the draft, Schefter had a great point. He's like, if I don't tweet it out, somebody else will. Somebody else does, and then I look bad. I didn't have the information, but I had it. So, you know, so, you know, but you have a, like Don said, he just stayed away from that, and that, that option was good. So, I don't know. Anything else you noticed, kind of just generally speaking about the draft? Well, the one thing I got to say is I got to eat crow a little bit about last week. I said uh, how fun it is that all the mocks were basically identical because you know that it's not going to work out that way. And while there was some craziness with trading, the trades that were made were to ensure that they got the players that everyone thought they wanted to begin right. with. I mean, one, a few players mixed it up a little bit. Cowboys Dallas, and yeah, Claiborne up. would be the one exception. And we all thought that the Rams, the Rams were going to get Blackman, and they didn't. And then I think that they, when they didn't get Blackman, they moved back again thinking they might get Floyd. They didn't get Floyd to end up taking Brockers and then getting the wide receiver with the first pick on day two. Right. So maybe that didn't work out quite for them. But, you know, it was Griffin to the Redskins and Richardson to the Browns and Khalil to the um, Vikings. Vikings. You know, a lot of it was the way we thought. Don, you you thought Gilmore would go to the Bills. Gilmore went to the Bills. There was a lot of, uh, you know, I think Chandler Jones was a kid that I had kind of linked to the Patriots, you know, and that worked out. There's just a lot of guys that I think were linked to teams for a while, and it ended up working out this year, where maybe in in the uh, past it didn't work out. The early trade between the, the Vikings and the Browns had me wondering, okay, the Browns moved up to make sure they got Richardson and nobody came in. And yeah, they gave them. three picks up for that, three later picks, a fourth and a fifth and a seventh. How much do they really know that other teams were going to trade with Minnesota? Do you just take – like Minnesota must hit, hit Cleveland – I got some teams on the phone here. You better offer. No, nope, that's not good enough. Like, but, they're offering more. Like and, you just take their word for it. And it? I think the Buccaneers came out and said that they weren't going to do it. Yeah. You know, and so maybe it's the Browns got suckered a little bit. But you know what? The Browns had 13 picks that they collected, and you don't necessarily collect the picks to make the picks. Sometimes you collect the picks to use them as collateral to put yourself into position to make the most important picks. Yeah. And to them, the most important thing in that draft was getting Trent Richardson. And they made sure that they didn't blow that. So I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind giving up a fourth and a fifth and a seventh. I admittedly hadn't seen a lot of Trent Richardson before that. Holy cow, that guy is a freak. Yeah, he's he great. He reminds me of Adrian Peterson a lot, just in his stature. And and remember, the Browns are the team that decided to take Joe Thomas instead of Adrian Peterson. Yeah. And Joe Thomas has worked out fine. That wasn't a bad pick. Sure. But I don't think they were going to be willing to leave another draft without having that, that superstar. And then... You know, they had a later first-round pick, and they picked Brand Whedon, which was one that I kind of assumed would happen. Yep. We kind of figured that the Dolphins would pick Ryan Tannehill. They did. You know, um, what else kind of made a lot of sense? Poe to the Chiefs made a lot of sense, I thought. Um, the one kind of I, the one that raised eyebrows was 15 in the Seahawks yep. with Bruce Irvin, and you had a great point before we started recording. He does kind of bring up a lot of the same things that Aaron Maba did with the Bills. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch a ton of college football tape on these guys or anything like that but his scouting report sounds very similar to Aaron Mabin's and until Mabin moved over to the Jets where he had a little bit of success he he really did nothing with the with Buffalo and it sounds like this guy is a similar guy a one down type of guy that uh, only just runs in straight lines at the quarterback all right so we'll talk more about the draft with uh, Doug Farrar later all right my first thing this week is uh, a long time coming, really, and that's that the Pro Bowl is officially going to be dropped. Uh, 
other than maybe Hawaiians. I don't know who's going to shed a bunch of tears for this. It's it's They'll the worst. Still name a team, right? They're they're still going to have the same. I guess so. They're going to select it the same way, but they're just not going to send anybody and play it. Problem with it is, it's just there's no way to translate this. Hockey, maybe purists don't like it, but it's entertaining. Basketball, same thing. There's yeah, no you just defense. get a lot of points. It's fun to watch. Right. Uh, baseball is fairly true to the game, minus the fact that you're changing pitchers every two innings or whatever. But football, there was just no way. I mean, they might as well have played flag football out there. Uh, we talked about this before on a different podcast, and I think it would have been fun to have them play like a different sport. Like, just if you want to have it just be some silly thing, elect a Pro Bowl thing. That way the players can still use that in contract negotiations. I'm a five-time Pro Bowl or whatever. Right. And then have them play kickball or something. You know what I mean? Like, just have them do something silly. I used to love the quarterback challenge that they used to do. Uh, I don't remember who, who put that on, but... That was just a fun like skills competition. I remember watching. Uh, they did some challenges where, when the Bills, when the Bills, while the Bills have been bad for so long, uh, Mormon made the Pro Bowl and he was running obstacle courses and stuff during something. Just do that stuff. That stuff was fun. But uh, it they did the like, right thing here. Yeah, I, it, it got to the point where it was an embarrassment for the league. Like this, this year was really bad. And. Um, Look, at, nobody wants to go down there and play a real game and get hurt for no reason. Right. If you're even the tiniest bit nicked up, you're not going down. And that's the problem, too, is you got players that can put Pro Bowls on their resume that probably don't deserve them because five people in front of them said, no, nah, no thanks, but no thanks. All right. So we both agree. Yeah, Great I'm not, decision. Not going to miss it. Great decision by the commissioner. Uh, kind of a, another interesting uh, thing that came out today was – Harbaugh, the coach of the the Ravens, has said that the uh, New England Patriots Super Bowl victories are tainted. Yeah. So, kind of when you hear that, it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? And that's John Harbaugh said Tuesday morning that he thought the New England Patriots three championships, one under Bill Belichick's, got asterisks now. That's a quote, and have been stained by the Scott the Spygate uh, scandal that rocked the team in two thousand and seven. He made the comments on a Baltimore radio show, and when he was asked about the Saints bounty scandal and whether bending the rules, um, he brought up the Patriots. He said, quote, in the end, everything is brought before the light of day when it's all said and done. What happens, even the thing in New England, no matter whether those things had any impact or whether they won champions or not, they got asterisks now. It's all been stained. So strong comments there by John Harbaugh, a guy who doesn't have a Super Bowl. (laughs) <laughs> you know, easy for him to say that other people's are tainted. But, you know, when you put yourself as a team into a position where you've bent the rules or you've cheated in some degree, you open yourself up to this this kind of criticism. Yeah, it surely would have helped the, the Patriots' legacy a little bit had they won the Super Bowl this year. I mean, they can still say that they haven't won really anything since. I mean, they've made it to the Super Bowl. That's, Twice, that's an accomplishment, yeah. right. But they haven't won one since since Spygate. So Teddy Bruschi kind of stuck up for his old coach saying that's a shot at Belichick I don't understand. When coach Harbaugh was interviewing for the job in Baltimore, it was coach Belichick that vouched for him. Wow. There's a little bit of loyalty that coach Harbaugh needs to learn. So the Harbaugh's are tough. Yeah. They're tough sometimes to like, you know? I mean, his brother had some controversies last year with the handshake thing in Detroit. And the kind of really hard slap on the back that he gave to the Detroit coach. Yeah, yeah. Those guys, you know, maybe they're only really likable by those who 
and play under them. Play under them or like them or their family. But um, <laughs> it's interesting to hear that. And ESPN.com is a nice uh, write-up on it if you want more information on that. My second thing this week is uh, buyer beware, I suppose, for fantasy football owners if you believe in things like curses. But uh, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, gets the Madden cover. Not sure really what to say about this other than they did their uh, he beat out Newton right bracket Cam thing Newton again was second yeah beat out Newton and it was pretty landslide of a vote in the final yeah who who better deserves it he might be the most dominant player at his position in the game today like who's the second best receiver we talked about this fantasy wise that it's probably not close and so uh, congratulations Megatron it was cool to see him announcing their their one pick at the draft. He's just a cool guy. He's a fun guy to watch. Yeah, he's great. He's a guy that literally you can just throw the ball in the area where he is. Yeah. And who's going to get it other than him? In that playoff, I mean, he put on a show in the playoff game. I mean, they lost that game, but it wasn't yeah. because he wasn't good. You know? Absolutely. They and got... everyone does anything they can to stop the guy. It's still pretty hard. And people forget that he was selected in a time when it was not a popular move for Detroit to be selecting another wide receiver. But to their credit, they did the right thing and got it right this time and have a superstar. Yeah, so he's a wide receiver from Georgia Tech. And there was also a wide receiver from Georgia Tech, Stephen Hill, who was drafted this year. So similar kind of shape, not quite the talent. but Right. All right, so my last thing. we got to be careful here, Don. But, you know, let's have a little bit of fun with this because it's pretty hilarious. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars kind of raised some eyebrows in the draft when they picked a punter in the third round. Yeah, I saw that. Right? I mean, what are they doing picking a punter so early? Well, they raised another eyebrow today when they announced that they're giving a tryout to an undrafted Chinese kicker. Okay, the game is growing globally. It's nice to see teams opening up uh, their their facilities to people from international markets. Where Where does he play? Um, Does it say that? He first played football in 2007 as part of the IFAF slash USA Football International Student Program. Okay. From there, he landed at Division Three Norwich University, where he was twice named the ECFC Special Teams Player of the Year. He didn't miss a kick inside of 40 yards in his final season. Uh, Norwich isn't normally an NFL hotbed, um, but he was invited to the regional combine combine in new york and was then invited to the super regional combine in detroit uh he traveled seven thousand miles before he played organized football games and wound up playing for three different schools uh but he'll get a chance to play in an nfl minicamp all right so that's not funny right no no nothing funny there yet his name long ding long ding Long day. <laughs> now, well, he, the the Bills, Bills had a player named, or have a player named Wong, I think, right? Something like that? Yeah, well, they had the first Chinese-American player that they added onto their team last year. Right. So the Bills made news for that this year. So this will be the second guy? It's the Jaguars and Long Ding. Also in for a tryout with the Jaguars is Jordan Palmer, brother of Carson. Isn't he an analyst? No, that's uh, the former the other Palmer, former New York Giants quarterback, who was the Bachelor. Oh right, right. So he's that's who you're thinking football of. Football families. Yeah. All right. I, I don't I, think he's related to the Jordan and Carson though. Okay. 
Uh, my last thing, I have actually two things real quickly. Uh, first, Brian Dawkins retires, ending. He signed a one-day contract with Philadelphia to end his career. Long, good career, eight Pro Bowls, uh, four first-team Pro Bowls. Probably one of them guys that's a borderline Hall of Famer. I think they've already announced they're going to retire his jersey at a game this year. His number really? is yeah, going to be retired. So, the Eagles. Right, right, right. So that helps probably his case a little bit, at least in people's mindset. But, yeah, he's a borderline Hall of Famer, so uh, congratulations Great on, career. on a good career, Brian yep. Dawkins. My second thing, real quick, we don't usually do four, but just real quickly, the Raiders are doing a nice thing. They're an easy team to pick on for a lot of reasons, but this one isn't one of them. Uh, they're running a promotion right now where every season ticket purchased and paid in full between May 1st and June 30th will have 10% of the uh, the gross of that ticket donated to Oakland Public Schools, which supposedly uh, really need it. So good for the Raiders. Nice yeah, to see a team do something like that. Yeah, the Raiders can be known as a team that's somewhat, I don't know. There's a lot of negativity sometimes sure. surrounding the organization. So like you said, it's good to see them building up uh, some some goodwill, I guess, you know, in, in the community. And they don't always sell out. You know, I mean, there's a lot of markets in the NFL where sellouts are like a slam dunk. Right. And that's not necessarily the case there. So if you're on the fence about Raiders season tickets out there, go, go buy them and uh, help a good cause. All right. So that's going to do it for three things today. Uh, like I said, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to have Doug Farrar from the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Sports Radio. So we'll be right back with an interview with Doug. Our next guest was born in Italy. Grew up in Denver and has spent almost 30 years in the Pacific White North of Seattle. He was once a senior writer on Football Outsiders. Today he is the editor of the Shutdown Corner blog on Yahoo Sports and often appears on Yahoo Sports Radio. He is making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Doug Farrar. How are you doing today, Doug? Excellent. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for uh, leading us in with one of my all-time favorite bands, Soundgarden. I love that. Can't go wrong with Soundgarden, right? Do you like the new song? You really Did you hear can't. the new song? Yeah. Yeah. Well, song Black Days, yeah, from Bat, from uh, Super Unknown, not right. Bad Motor Finger, and I'm very happy they're back. I can't wait for the new album. So if you're listening out there, guys, finish it up and release it. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you. We got a little bit of taste with that Avengers uh, soundtrack, but uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. I love, love Matt Cameron. Uh, yes. The draft was very interesting, I thought. Um, the first thing that was interesting was all the trading at the top. And there was kind of some discussions going into the draft that the new structure of the CBA might have some effect on how teams viewed their first few picks in the draft. But it seemed like you know deals were going as quick as we could type them in on Twitter. What was your impressions on the really beginning of the draft and how teams seem to be trading like crazy with those picks? Yeah, I, the new set where it's just basically it's not a totally fixed wage scale where it's like you know twenty five million here, boom. But if you take a quarterback first overall, you know you're pretty much going to pay him about twenty five million. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year did fully guaranteed contracts on the wage scale, so everyone knew exactly what they were getting. This being the first year with 
a wage scale and no threat of a lockout, teams knew exactly what their caps were. Remember last year, there wasn't a CBA, and the CBA right. decides you know what percentage of revenue is the cap, so boom, there you go. This is the first time teams know, if I trade up, I'm essentially spending this much more money against my cap. So most definitely uh, th- that had a big Im- impact. And I think it will make the draft. I mean, I was doing a, uh, I was done in Houston, did a four-hour show all the way through the draft. We could barely keep up, and the people I talked yeah. to, fans and, and whoever, everyone thought it was much more exciting. So I'm, 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 I'm glad to see that this is a new method and interested to see how it goes forward, you know, year to year. You get teams moving up and down, whereas before it's like, no way I'm going to number one set. You know, $78 million with $48 million guaranteed for a quarterback. There aren't a lot of teams who confront that kind of money. You know, I remember times in the past where we'd start this draft on Saturday at 12 or 1 o'clock, and it's 7 o'clock before they're getting to round two. You know, now they're starting in, in prime time, and they, they were practically ready to sign off for the, for the late local news if they needed to. Um, yeah. And it was just, I, I thought the, the pacing was great, and it, it was very, very exciting. You know, one of the themes that seemed to have come out of the draft is that the playoff teams, uh, the kind of the rich got richer cliche type of a thing. What do you think it was about this draft that enabled the teams that uh, drafted maybe in the second half of it to seem to have really come out with a really good draft class? Well, I think, you know, it, it's all the old cliches are true. The teams that consistently draft well, and over the last 10 years, I've probably put the Baltimore Ravens on top with Ozzie Newsome and, um, you know, their their whole team, their old front office, you stick to your method, you let the draft come to you a lot of the time, and you know exactly, you know, there's a combination of best player available and need. And I think you're talking about the Ravens, the Patriots, the Steelers, you know, these teams, the Packers, they draft consistently well because they understand, like, when the Packers went with Jarrell Worthy uh, of, of Michigan State, they knew, okay... There's our Colin Jenkins replacement. When they got Nick Perry, there's our guy who ironically replaced Clay Matthews as the Leo end in USC. Now he's going to play alongside him. They know what they need, but they're not going to overdraft like two rounds up to get a cornerback or a, like a safety because Nick Collins was released. They're not going to go desperation. I thought last year, uh, and I admire Thomas Dimitrov a great deal. I think he's a great executive. I thought they overreacted to their playoff loss to the Packers a little bit. You know, we're going to trade a first and a first and all this other stuff to get Julio Jones. And Julio Jones is a great player, but you have to keep those chips. And it's the teams now with that new skill that are moving down and getting extra picks. I think those are the teams who a lot of the time came out looking really good. You know, one of the teams that moved down a couple times in the first round was the St. Louis Rams. And I think they maybe ended up a little bit disappointed. I mean, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Another cliche there, um, by trading out of two and still getting Blackman, Jacksonville jumped up ahead of them and kind of ruined that. Then seemed like they moved down again, thinking they might be able to get Michael Floyd. That didn't work out. They ended up taking uh, Brockers and then having to settle for a wide receiver with the first pick of day two. Now, going into day two, I thought the Rams are okay. There's a lot of wide receivers still available. There was like four or five names I had on a list that I thought, okay, it's going to be one of these guys, and then they kind of went off the board. Do you think they did all right with uh, with uh, the wide? His name's Quick, right? Or the wide receiver? Yeah, the, they got uh, Brian Quick from Brian State, Quick, Appalachian right. State, and yeah. they got Chris Gibbons from Wake Forest, kind of a speed guy. And I'm not a huge Michael Floyd fan. He's got great physical talent. 
but he presents some pretty sloppy tape, and I wouldn't say there's a, a, a full round or two difference between Brian Quick and, and Michael Floyd. It's just that not a lot of people have seen Quick because he you know, plays for a smaller school, and they may sort of debit their ding the competition he faced. Well, Quick was, I think, the last guy who left the App State team that beat Michigan. So he's been around. Appalachian State's one of the better, smaller schools. So it, it's just what you need. And that to me, the Rams draft, it's just it's a best-case scenario. And you have to hope and pray that Janoris Jenkins, with all his obvious character issues, Tremaine Johnson, who, by the way, was tased once, uh, I think that even trumps Jenkins, you know, mm-hmm. you got a couple guys who can be really tremendous, estimable physical talents. And Jenkins looks really good on the field. It's just, and Fisher, Jeff Fisher is known to gamble with guys yeah. like Hainsworth, Vince Young, Pac-Man Jones, guys with some off-field stuff. doesn't always work, and you have to know when to cut bait, but maybe you can get a couple good years out of him. And if he, if, he, if he can, that's a great draft for them. You know, everybody wants to kill Seattle because, you know, Bruce Irvin wasn't a guy that Mal Kuyper and Ty McShay and Mayock said was going to be picked 15 overall. What's your opinion on the pick? Do you think they reach for the guy? I mean, one thing I'll say is from the tape and the analysis that I've seen, it doesn't seem like he's a guy who can play every down, that he's kind of a a pass rusher. And I know being in Buffalo, the Bills tried this with Aaron Maben, and it right. was a big strikeout. Is, is Seattle yep. taking that risk? Well, I think Bruce Irvin is the most obvious example this year of the amateur talent evaluators like me and others who you know try and get it right. And I live in Seattle. I cover the Seahawks. I was at uh, John Schneider's more informal pre-draft, pre-draft press conference and then the big one with John and Pete. And based on what they were talking about, total speed guys, uh, especially on defense, I actually had Bruce Urban slotted for them in the second round. Okay. So I, I pegged that right. It was a surprise to me until I went back and watched his tape and saw how he was kind of misplayed in college a lot, being on the inside shoulder of the tackling, just get mauled by a guy outweighing him by 80 pounds. If you just go and do a cut-up of his stuff where he's either outside the tackle or outside the formation, it's ridiculous. He's, he might be faster than Von Miller. He might be the fastest pure pass rusher I've ever seen. Now, he is a one-trick pony. There's no question about that. I don't think he can get much bigger without losing that speed. But Alden Smith got 14 sacks and never technically started last year. Hmm. He was essentially a third down end. They started playing him more on second down, started playing him more through the game. But he never, te- I believe it was Paris Harrelson who started, and then Alden Smith would come in and run inside Justin Smith while he was beating three guys to death, as he tends to do, and bam, you have your sack over and over. Um, I see him, uh, I, I see Bruce Irvin potentially very much that way. You know, Bobby Wagner, uh, the, the turban kid from Utah State. John Schneider, their GM, grinds as much tape as anybody, uh, comes from a very good organization in Green Bay. His draft board is so deep that I think he gets dinged on his drafts because there aren't a lot of splashy names. He's looking for guys that specifically fit what Pete wants to do and clearly, they wanted to get faster. They didn't draft anyone, including the linemen. No one they drafted went over four eight five in their forty. So they're just they're just looking to get blinding fast. And here we come, and we'll see how that works. You know, it just seems like they are very content to do the draft the way they want to do the draft. It seems like you know the criticisms would just roll off of them better than a lot of teams. You know, sometimes in Buffalo here, you know, 
Buddy Nix can get really defensive sometimes. Seems like they're in Seattle. They're they're the perfect team. To, they're just doing what they want to do. This is the way they have them evaluated. This is how they picked them, and they don't really care what anyone else thinks. I made the the note on Twitter after their press conference together because scouts and coaches tend to see players differently at times, and it's rare that you see two guys who are in lockstep as much as John and Peter. I remember Todd Lewicki, who was the old CEO, who I think moved, oh, he's part of the stadium project in L.A. now. Um, but he ran the Seahawks after Tim Ruskell and Jim Moore were fired. And he said, basically, when I got John and Pete together, I saw that they would see things the same, and it wasn't the fights like there were with, you know, Holmgren and Ruskell and all that. And that's proven to be true. And they don't care. They don't care what anyone thinks. They kind of laugh it off and go, yeah, well, we'll see. And, you know, when people, you know, K.J. Wright, who's that? Richard Sherman, who's that? Doug Baldwin, who's that? Who's this Cam Chancellor guy? And they're all playing at a Pro Bowl level because Schneider will interface with Carroll. And this is how all, you know, this, again, we go back to the Steelers and, and, you know, Ravens, and this is another aspect of successful drafts. From, and this is one thing that impresses me about the Broncos with Elway and Fox now, and I think they're becoming that sort of team. From the team president all the way down to the assistant coaches, everyone knows what they want. No one's got an agenda. No one's trying to get up on anyone else. And that's when it works because you're not drafting a guy who won't fit the scheme. What did you think of the Redskins going quarterback, guard, quarterback? I don't have any problem. I know they're getting crushed for it. It makes a lot of sense to me because, in my opinion, if Rex Grossman is your backup, that, that can get iffy. I mean, he, he'll show great talent at times and then just fall off the, you know, the planet. Um, Kirk Cousins, to me, had a second-round grade if the blitz was abolished, if they were playing by, like, Pro Bowl rules. <laughs> but when you get in his face, he tends to fall apart a little bit. He's an ideal Shanahan Project quarterback. West Coast offense guy, you know, pro-style offense, multiple reads, rolls right. If he gets used to pressure, I think he can be what, say, Ty Detmer was to McNabb or Jeff Garcia was to McNabb. You need a guy, more and more it's a quarterback league, you always hear that, so why are people going after the Redskins for trying to get their backup too? That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, Robert Griffin, I had him number one, on my, I had him above luck, I think he could be the kind of quarterback we've never seen before, but he's a mobile guy. Mobile right. quarterbacks get hurt. Yep. I think Vic's played a full season, what, once? Um, it, it's really tough to do. So you groom that backup, and then they're, you know, if it works out well, they're set with their one and two guy. They don't have to get some veteran whose arm is falling off. You know, they can set it up. And I think it's a really interesting strategy. I, I you know, I, I think it's commendable what they did. And if they develop the kid, and in a couple of years, you know, Griffin's established, and this guy's maybe played four or five games and look good, then maybe you got another bargaining piece that you can turn into a first round pick that you lose, you lost to get Griffin. You know. So. Well, you know, and, and uh, the Packers didn't get anything back from Matt Flynn, but I think it's a very illustrative example where right. you get in the right offense, you get in, you blow it up a couple of games. And all, you know, this goes back to Scott Mitchell and before. Yep, um, Rob Johnson. Yeah, yeah obviously, <laughs> the name for mentioning it doesn't always work, right. but uh, that that's certainly, you know, maybe I see him, you know, look, look like what if, if, if Schaub can't stay healthy down in Texas? in Houston. Right. What if a year from now they look at Cousins and, go, and say, well, he's the, our ideal type of guy, and I think he would be. And that's that's where you get you get value either way if Cousins works out. Absolutely. Hey, you know, you mentioned the Steelers before, and I really like what they did at the top of the draft. They obviously needed to make sure they could keep Big Ben upright, and 
The only thing that kind of surprised me was the Mike Adams pick in the sense that, you know, the Steelers, they don't, they don't mess around really. You know, they've had, they had a troubled Ohio State player just a few years ago who was a Super Bowl MVP, and they cut him loose for a fourth-round pick because he was causing some problems. Do you think that Mike Adams ultimately can have a, a, a future in, in, in Pittsburgh? Is he ready for the, the pressure that kind of comes to being a Steeler? Well, the story that came out after the fact was very interesting. Um, Mike Adams found out that the Steelers had taken him off their board entirely. He apparently wrote the Steelers a letter and said, please let me come out and talk to you. Please let me come out and explain myself and try to get back in your good graces. That's how much he wanted to play for that team. And Tomlin and the Roonies and Kevin Colbert said, oh, okay. So they brought him out and they said, okay, if you, first of all, I mean, this is pre-draft, we want to see how you act from now until the draft. If we take you, and the Rams did this very similarly with Janoris Jenkins, who sent out an email to all 32 teams saying, I know I've made mistakes, I'm not the person you think I am. This is what Vontez Burfecht did not do, which is why Vontez Burfecht did not get drafted. Mm-hmm. But Adams went to the Steelers, he met their conditions, he continues to meet their conditions, and that's where they took him. He was off their board and he got back on. Now, I'm not a big Adams fan based on tape, but I think that's a really cool story and I, you know, kudos to him for manning up. As a lot of guys don't, you know, I was in the wrong place, and it was everyone else's fault. He, you know, he just said, "Yeah, I, um, I goofed up, and I want to move on." And that's why they took him because I think they saw, despite what he had done, they saw the character they want in their organization. The sportscasters and football nation are here with Doug Farrar from the Shutdown Corner Blog on Yahoo Sports. You can find him on Twitter at sc underscore doug. F A R R A R. Um, one, uh, one more, maybe two more draft things, and then I got to ask you one last thing. I'll let you go. Um, we're in Buffalo. We keep a special eye on the Bills. The Bills have had a really good off season. You know, obviously uh-huh. uh, adding Mario Williams and Mark Anderson. They got. They, they have the scariest front four in the league right now. Yeah, they really don't. No have... one's talking about Mark Anderson, but he had what ten sacks last year. Ten, yep. holy cats! That that's pretty impressive. And he's not going to be hitting their quarterback as they got him from from New England. You know, um, there you go. What did you think of their draft? Uh, it's mixed reaction here in Buffalo to Stephen Gilmore. Everyone seems to love the Cody Glenn pick, and then nobody knows what to make of T.J. Graham. Some people are saying that he was a seventh round guy picked in the third round. What do you think of their first couple picks? What would just be your thoughts? I am a huge fan of Stephon Gilmore. I thought I think overall he's better. He's going to be better than Claiborne in, in time. Claiborne's a sexier pick because he plays really good man coverage, and that's what the NFL does right now. Uh, I like the Glenn pick as far as a run mashing right tackle. I like Bobby Massey a little bit more. Uh, T.J. Graham, he's one of those guys who gets debited like Reuben Randall, like Stephen Hill, like uh, Muhammad Sanu gets kind of dinged because. He didn't play in a great passing offense. Um, Ron Brooks, the kid from LSU, I like a lot. Tank Carter, very interesting story. Uh, the, the linebacker from TCU, you may have heard this already, a uh, fifth-round pick, was in a, a bicycle accident. It was hit by a car when he was 12 or 13, almost died, was told he would never walk again. Turned out to be a standout on one of the best defenses in the NCAA over the last four years. Uh, another guy who wasn't drafted but was picked up by the Bills as kid I like a lot. I talk to Greg Carcello of NFL Films all the time. Another big fan of this kid is Aaron Corp from Richmond. Uh, USC transfer actually beat Matt Barkley out for the job back in, I believe, 09, and then broke his leg, and then transferred. Yep. Really impressed me at the Combine. Had me watching tape, and I'm thinking, 
You know, if there's one guy I would want to develop a young quarterback in the NFL right now, it's Chan Gailey. That's a perfect situation for Corp to come out of nowhere and don't be surprised if three years from now he's the next undrafted quarterback everyone's talking about, like, oh, look, look, you know, he, he might be the next Tony Romo. I'm not saying it will happen, but everything's lined up for him to do so. You know, we don't have time, obviously. It'd be great if we could. It'd be really fun to go through every single team. Um, but of the teams that we didn't get a chance to talk about, is there a couple that you thought maybe had a really good draft and maybe a couple you thought kind of struggled? Well, I really I respect the Jets' front office. I think, you know, Tannenbaum knows what he's doing. Rex Ryan is a much better defensive coach than people think because of all the, you know, crazy stuff. But based on the tape I watched, I didn't. I wouldn't give Quentin Copeland a first-round grade. I would not take him in the first round. Um, he, to me, is Jamal Anderson again. He's that guy who, you know, big, 6'6", 280, 4'7", at the combine. He just doesn't make plays. Hmm. And when you need a pass rush and you have – and you need a pass rush and in multiple fronts and a guy who can play kind of the back half too – and uh, Courtney Upshaw and Melvin Ingram are still on the board. I, I really, I, I really worry. You know that that just doesn't make any sense to me. I do like to pick Stephen Hill from Georgia Tech. Again, really prehistoric passing offense. Didn't have a lot of stats. Doesn't run a lot of routes, but he's a you know he's a dynamic speed guy. Third level speed. He will break uh, two safety coverage and just go past it. And people say, well, he only runs two routes. Yeah, but he kills you with both of them. Hmm. And how many square ends did Randy Moss run? Right. You get a guy for what he can do beyond the safety. Good size, even, too. Yeah, the two guys, him and then Kendall Wright from Baylor, who I believe went to the Titans, uh, those are the two guys where it's just speed kills, and if he can get past the safeties, it's just it's off, off to the races. So the Jets are the team where I go, you know, I, I can understand, like, Seattle's draft because I understand the team. I think maybe I'm a little more positive on it than some, but the Jets just befuddled me. Gotcha. Hey, one last thing I want to ask you, just uh, not related to the draft, and it's just strictly your opinion. I'm just curious. What do you think the ultimate penalties are going to be for the players that were involved in the bounty scandal? How hard do you think the Saints are going to get hit on that? Well, what's interesting is if uh, it's the teams that aren't with the Saints anymore. That's where it gets interesting. Right. Um, you're tr- like Tracy Porter of the Broncos now. Well, what if he wasn't? I mean, he's not a real, you know, thumper. No. But what if the Broncos lose him for four games? You know, it, this, the people still at the Saints. Vilma, I think, will obviously get the most. I could see him going eight games. Uh, Roman Harper and guys like that, maybe two to four. They'll probably stagger him because I, I, I think Goodell has tortured them enough to. <laughs> And, and by the way, the Saints had a pretty good draft, I thought, for, you know, obviously Not the first pick was gone, the second pick was gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think they got some good guys. But they're going to have to stagger it because doing this after the draft where they don't know, that that's tough. And uh, I, I think it'll be, they're going to lose a lot of guys. And, uh, it's, you know, they already lost Carl Nix and Robert Meacham. That's going to be a rough season for them. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, the only thing I guess that they can do is, is kind of rally around each other on this. You know, I mean, that's really the only choice they have. But I'm still waiting for this Drew Brees contract. I can't believe it's taken this long. It's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, when you consider that not only was he one of the guys who helped get New Orleans off its knees, but apparently he's the only one who did it the right way. Um, they 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 have got to get him done. 
I mean, if I were Goodell and I really wanted to be cruel, you know, I would have penalized the Saints. No franchise I made Breeze, tag. I made Breeze a free agent. That's <laughs> how you, you want to kill a team. That's how you do it. He's so important to them. They've, they've got to work that out. Yeah, and he could have done that by taking away the franchise tag. You know, it yep. would have been basically the same thing. You know, and that would have been probably a, a reasonable penalty to say you don't have a franchise tag this year. Doug, thank you so much. I could I could do this all day. Um, again, the, it's a shutdown. <laughs> it's a shutdown corner blog. It's on yahoosports.com. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at sc underscore doug f a r r a r. Anything else I didn't mention? Uh, I believe that's it. All right. Thank you so much, Doug. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, we want to thank Doug Farrar from the Shutdown Corner blog at Yahoo Sports for joining us today. Again, you can find Doug on Twitter. It's at SC underscore Doug, F-A-R-R-A-R. Um, again, it's the Sportscasters and Football Nation podcast. We'd love for you to email us. Our email address is sportscasters at gmail.com. Uh, don't be afraid to send us any negative, positive feedback you'd like. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at sports underscore casters. You can follow Football Nation on Twitter at FBallNation. Don't forget to check out Season 2, Episode 17 of the Sportscasters Proper Podcast. We have interviews with Richard Deitch, Dave Meltzer, and Matt Crossman. Uh, you can find that at www.sports-casters.com and iTunes. Okay, real quick, we're just going to close out with our This Week on Football Nation segment. While you're over at footballnation.com checking out the podcast, here's a couple of articles currently written by those in the nation that you can find, Don. Uh, on our other podcast, we've been doing a little bit with fantasy football, super early stuff, but it's kind of fun with all the indecisiveness around the running back situations with all the injuries. and Just doing it this early, There's we, t- we, did a, we mocked the first two rounds, and it's funny how different our drafts are. Well, I just found at Football Nation that someone did the 2012 NFL draft and recapped the worst fantasy football fits. Uh, so not that you really go nuts over fantasy players, fantasy rookies usually anyway. Unless you're in like, the Dynasty League or something like right, that. Right, right. But uh, w- without spoiling it, I mean, I'll give you an example. Like number five he has is Ryan Boy- Broyles from the Detroit Lions. He doesn't and, think that's a good fit. Well, he gives a bunch of reasons for it. Uh <laughs> I think he just says that there's a logjam there. Calvin yeah, Johnson, Burleson, Titus Young, Brandon See, Pettigrew. I guess his main competition would be Titus Young because he's more than that. Right. You know, he's smaller. He's like 5'10", 185. He's a slot guy for sure. You know, he's not going to be competing with for Calvin Johnson's, Calvin job. Johnson's right. job. You know, he's a – so, okay. But, I, I mean, if you, if you want to see his take on who he doesn't think is great rookie fits in terms of fantasy because, I mean, it's really early, but I know – like I said, we've been doing a mock, so I'm already excited for fantasy. Go check that out. That's Jason Stolberg that does that over at Football Nation. All right. I have a really cool article I found by Anthony King, who's a contributor. He's got 106 articles up on the site, 16,000 page views plus. And he has a really cool article about which rookie will have the best season. And he breaks it down really well. And um, his number one is, is Robert Griffin. Number two, he has Andrew Luck. Three, Brandon Whedon. So um, check that out. T- Tannehill not in the top five, which I thought was the the most interesting thing since he was the third quarterback off the board. But um, really interesting stuff broken down. Each player, what pick they were, what round, 
what number, which team. So really good information about the quarterbacks in the draft, and that's uh, Anthony King. Yeah, there's always – I mean, if you're – Obviously, if you found this podcast, unless you found it on iTunes, then you've been to Football Nation. But if you haven't been somehow, go there. The contributors are really good. They find all these these excellent writers. There's a guy there that I, I would have had his article feature, but I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's <laughs> Sean Kopf, K-O-P-F. Uh, he writes a really cool article comparing uh, 1998 – Versus 2012, Manning versus Andrew Luck, and based like the rookie seasons, and why he thinks Luck might have more success in his rookie year, based on a lot of like the NFL rule changes, and he gives a lot of specific examples and just tons of cool stuff out there on Football Nation, especially. I mean, just follow even if you just follow your own team. And you know, we we uh, we want to be a part of the Football Nation family, and we want to make sure that this podcast is available. If you have an article that you want us to take a look at or mention on this podcast. And you're someone who writes for Football Nation, don't be afraid to email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. I know sometimes uh, articles can get lost in the shuffle when there's so much sure, going on right. on this website. So if you're a writer and you're like, hey, man, we could really use a break getting uh, this article out there, you know, email us and we'll definitely mention it. Sure. Because uh, we want to be, uh, be part of this as much as possible. So thanks for listening. Thanks to Doug Farrar for being on the show. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And uh, we'll be back here next week. It's uh, cold in Buffalo. Why don't you take us to California? Spend my days with a woman and kind. Smoke my stuff and drink.